Hey, fantastic. Yes, we are in part two of our series, 21 Days of Prayer, God Defend New Zealand. I love the title. It really comes from our national anthem. Our national anthem really is a prayer, a declaration that God, um, God's love and his mercies, he reigns. He really does. And, you know, uh, in, our, in our rugby stadiums, we declare God's goodness through our national anthem. It's so cool. What, it's brilliant the way um, this anthem came up, uh, upon this country. And this whole series, 21 Days of Prayer, it's really about praying for our nation. Um, you know, let us be praying. We're elections coming up. Let's be praying for God-fearing people to be in parliament. Come on, let's just be praying for God-fearing people to be in there, making, influencing um, the big decisions that need to be made. Let's have God-fearing people in there. So let us be praying. Let's be praying for um, the COVID-21. I'll come against that in Jesus' name. Uh, COVID-19. Hard enough on 19 to get a 21. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, COVID-19. Let's be praying for all the frontline workers that are out there. Honestly, they're putting their life at risk every single day. So let us be praying for them, praying uh, for wisdom as uh, the leaders. Honestly, it's a difficult task to lead through this and pray for wisdom during that time. Let's be praying for our churches. Let's be praying for God's goodness, not just the Elam movement. Let's pray for all the great churches in Hamilton and throughout the country. Let's be um, the, global, the global church. And so that's what 21 Days of Prayer is all about. And, and, and you know, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will agree with me that prayer is important. In fact, you'll, you'll agree with me that, that um, the prayer is power. In fact, there's probably some people in this room, you, you totally agree with that, but you know you need to pray a little bit more. Anybody in that camp? Um, and uh, I remember... I decided I was going to pray early hours of the morning. So I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, as you do, and I knelt down and I prayed. I was sitting in my lounge and I knelt down and I prayed. Honestly, I, I was storming heaven and, and I could feel the presence of God fill the room. And I looked at my time and it was 7 o'clock in the morning. Time just flew. It was just amazing being in the presence of God in the time of prayer. Actually, none of that actually happened. Uh, what actually happened was I got up at 5 o'clock and knelt down, and next thing I remember is waking up at 7 o'clock. I was now, I was now on the couch. I don't, know, I don't know how I got onto the couch fast asleep. I failed, and then I tried again the next day, and I failed again. I, I, I remember, you know, uh, me and my wife, we decided we're going to pray together before we go to bed because a family that prays together stays together, right? So we prayed. And I'll, word of advice, do not pray together while you're lying down in bed ready to go to sleep. Put was praying away, and I'm going, amen, amen, amen. Next thing you know, I wake up in the morning, and Puddle's angry with me. <laughs> Any husbands know what I'm talking about? Wake up in the morning, they're angry with you. Anyway, anyway that's but too much information. <laughs> We've worked things out since then, okay? It's all good, all good, all good, all good, all good. And she was telling me that as she was praying, all I was snoring through the whole prayer. So anyway, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, needless to say, we don't actually pray together anymore at nighttime. So anyway, <laughs> we pray together, but not when we go to bed. Um, so anyway, um, you know, do you, do you ever find that some people that you meet, they, they seem to have like a, a direct line to God when they pray. They're just amazing when they pray. I mean, they can get up at five o'clock in the morning, no problems at all. In fact, they love to pray. And if you know anybody like that, man, that's awesome. Um, they, they are our prayer warriors. Get around them. Get learn from them, and then there's other people who, who seem to be a, a bit confused about prayer. Like, what is prayer? Like, how, I mean, how do I even pray? And if God knows what's, what's got, what I'm going to ask for, then why do I need to pray? Anybody in that camp? Or, or maybe you're in the other camp where every time you try to pray, your mind just wanders. You ever find that? You're praying, in the name of Jesus, and next year you start, and you find yourself thinking about some weird thing about, 
oh, one of us should go to Kmart or should I get it at a warehouse. Oh, wait, 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 come back, I'm praying, I'm praying. Father God, I'm going to storm me heaven. And then you're thinking about like, oh, one of us, well, should we have steak for dinner? Wait, wait, no, 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 no. You, you, anybody been there before? You're trying to pray and your mind's wandering and, and then you look, you check the time and go, oh, dang it, it's time to go. I haven't even prayed. And so, you know, you, you know and so hey, look, whatever camp you're in, one thing I do know is that we all need to learn. Oh, thank you so much for that phone. My, my, my watch told me it's 10.39 a.m. Okay, I'm moving on. Okay. And so, um, but we all need to learn to pray a little bit more. Okay. That's what, what one thing we do know. But what's really interesting is that most of us, we really don't think about Jesus in our prayer. We really don't. And, and I know what you're thinking. I say, of course I think about Jesus. When do we actually think about him? Oh, that's right, at the end. In the name of Jesus, amen. And, and for most of us, that's the only time we, we think about Jesus, we mention it. And let's be honest, that's equivalent to hitting, hitting the send button, right, of an email. Send. Okay, did you get that, God? I added Jesus at the back of that. And, and, and that's really, for most of us, that's the only time we think about Jesus is right at the end when we're ending our prayer. Jesus cared deeply about prayer. Jesus cared deeply that his followers will pray. In fact, Jesus cared so deeply about it that, that he talked about prayer and he gave us a prayer. Yet for many of us, we're so familiar with this prayer, we've forgotten the brilliance. We've forgotten the power of this prayer. And for some of us, we've just become bored of this prayer. And what prayer am I talking about? What's the name of this prayer? It's called the Lord's Prayer. Why is it called the Lord's Prayer? Because who gave us the prayer? The Lord. And it's a prayer. So it's the Lord's prayer. Okay, I know it's profound. That was profound. I'm thinking like, man, I've learned something new. Okay, let's, let's you know, get, open up your Bibles. Let's, let's read from the passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And Jesus begins to teach on prayer. And, and he says, and when you pray. So Jesus assumes his followers will pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, now for uh, biblical prayer structures or Jewish prayer structures, is a structure of three. And one of the, the most sacred prayers in Judaism is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the Shema. It is the most sacred prayer in Judaism. And they would pray this prayer three times a day when they wake up at noontime and when they go to sleep. Um, think, uh, you know the story of David, uh, David, Daniel. Daniel certainly prayed this prayer three times a day. In fact, if you know the story of, da of Daniel, Daniel was, was fed to the lions for praying this prayer three times a day. Jesus certainly prayed this prayer three times a day. If you're Jewish, you prayed this prayer three times a day. And there was a tendency for some Jewish leaders that when it came to the noontime prayer, they would find themselves in the marketplace. And they just happened to find to be on some steps. And they just happened, oh, it's that time to pray where everybody can see me. And they'll begin to pray the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord, and you know, and it was all about showing people how religious they were and how God-fearing they were. But let's be honest, it was all about ego. It was all about humans being stupid, right? And so Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be like them. Don't do that. That's not how you should pray. And he goes on, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, 
close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, so the first mark of a Jesus-centered prayer is that it's personal and, 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 it's, and it's done in such a way that no one knows you're praying. No one knows you're praying. Okay, so, so even if you, if you, um, so when you, if you find yourself in a marketplace, you're going to be praying, but no one knows you're praying. You're not certainly not standing on any kind of stairs. Not, no one knows that you're praying. And so that's one extreme. And then Jesus begins to look at the other extreme to prayer, and he goes on. And, and, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And so for us, when we hear the word pagans, we have a lot of negative connotations with this word pagans. There's a lot of things attached to it. Now, in the Bible, it, it didn't mean what we think what pagans mean for us today. In the Bible, the pagan is an ethnic term. It's basically anybody who's not Jewish is a pagan, right? If you're not, if you're not Jewish, you're a pagan, meaning we're pagans because we're not Jewish. And that's what it means. It's very similar to Gentiles. And so Jesus is talking about the Greeks and the Romans. Now, if you're familiar with any of the ancient um, Greek writings, especially Homer's Iliad or the Odyssey, what you'll notice as you read this, these ancient texts is that the prayers in there are very, very, very long, and they're very wordy, and they're meant to be, because the Greek and Roman gods, they didn't care about people. They didn't care about earthlings or human beings. They didn't care about them at all. So, so the, the Greeks or the Romans would pray these very, very, very long prayers in order to try to, to get the gods' attention, and maybe they can convince them to grant them safe passage somewhere. And so the point of Jesus is you do not need to go on and on and on. If you need to go on and on to try and convince God, then you really don't know who you're praying to. This is what Jesus is talking about. If you have to go on and on to convince God, you don't know whom you're praying to. Then he goes on in verse 8. Do not be like them, for their father, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And some of us, we read this, well, if God already knows, then why should I pray? Well, Jesus actually, Jesus concludes, it comes up the exact opposite conclusion to that. He said, well, because your father knows, you should pray. In fact, because he knows, just get to the point. Just get to the point. He already knows. Get to the point. Do you get the point? <laughs> you know, sometimes when I'm praying for people, you know, and, and they're healing, and, and, and I'll pray for them. I'll say, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll just say something, an authority given to me. In the name of Jesus, uh, uh, release your healing power into their body. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm finished. And they're kind of looking at me like this. Is that it? Is that all the prayer? And I was going, oh, sorry, you wanted more religious words. You wanted me to wave, maybe wave my hands around a bit more, you know. And it's as if that, like, the, it's, it's the, they need more words for the healing to happen. It's not what is said, it's whom who heals that is the power. And when we read the biblical accounts of Jesus, his prayers are very short. Very short because it's not about the religiousness. God already knows. Just get to the point. God already knows. Do you know whom you're praying to? If you've got to try to convince God, then you don't know who you're really praying to at all. And that's the point of Jesus. And so then he gives us this prayer. And this prayer is brilliant. This prayer is the most powerful prayer that you will ever get to pray. You will never pray a more powerful prayer than this prayer, the prayer that Jesus gives us himself. Are you ready for this powerful prayer? It goes like this. This then is how you should pray. And here is the brilliance of Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be great. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And now for some of you, if you've got a different translation, it, this, it, it may have an extra ending to it, especially if you're reading from the King James Version. But for many of us, we'll have a footnote. And that footnote will say something like some late, later manuscripts include this ending to the prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, that's, that part is not original to the prayer. Jesus did not say that. He did not say that. He didn't end that prayer with that. In fact, all the earliest manuscripts do not include that ending in this prayer. So where did this ending originate from? And where it originated from, it originated from the early church. The early church during the first 50 to 75 years of the early church. And they would, they would, they would read, the church would come together and read, read this, this prayer in, in light of the Sunday gathering. The Sunday gatherings when believers came together was the Lord's Day. They would come together and the Sunday gathering was a worship service. And so the early church, they added this ending to make this prayer become like a praise song. And so they would use this prayer as part of their praise and worship to God. And they added this ending, uh, ending to it. And it's beautiful. And I think we should say this ending. And, and the reason why I think we should say this ending is, is, is because this is how this prayer became the prayer of the church. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the ending that the early church added to this prayer. And what you'll notice about this prayer, even with this extra addition to this prayer is that this prayer is very, very short. So even if you're trying to make yourself seem religious and you climb up some stairs and you begin to say the Lord's Prayer, by the time everybody looks at you, it's over, it's finished. And they're looking, what's this guy on about, you know? It's very short. It's, it's, not, it's, it's meant to be very short, and that was the point. It was a very short prayer. So where did, where did Jesus come up with this prayer? What is the heartbeat of this prayer. How did Jesus develop this prayer? Now, for us to explore that, we are going to go down a rabbit hole. And if you've been following um, this series, many, the series this whole year, our series this whole year, you'll be very familiar with this rabbit hole. And uh, we're going to go fast forward 15 chapters in the book of Matthew to chapter 22 to an area which we call the Jesus Creed. Now, the Jesus Creed um, is, is a term that was coined by Scott McKnight, who is a, um, who is a New Testament um, scholar who teaches at Northern Seminary in America. He's a professor, and he, he coined this, this, this phrase, the Jesus Creed. And as we read Matthew 22, let's get into the Jesus Creed. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which is one um, Jewish religious group, the Pharisees got together, which is another Jewish religious group. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, and what he replies with is with the Shema. He replies with the Shema, the, the, the most sacred prayer in Judaism from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Okay, and, and he quotes the Shema, and this is what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And with that, um, yeah, well, we totally agree with that. That's, that's the Shema. We agree with that. And then he goes, this is the first and greatest command. And then he keeps going. 
He keeps going and he's like, wait, 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 I just asked you for one. But he keeps going. And the second is like it. And many of us, we read that and the second is like it. We kind of think, oh, okay, well, this is the first greatest commandment and this is the second greatest commandment. Well, Jesus is not saying that at all. Jesus is saying something much more clever than that. And he says this, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So which one is the greatest? Love God or love your neighbor as yourself? Which one's the greatest? And the answer is exactly. Exactly. Jesus, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Exactly. So which is the greatest, Jesus? Which is the greatest command, Jesus? Well, it's love God and love people. It's the Jesus Creed. It's the Jesus Creed. To love God and to love people. Jesus sees that your relationship with God is interwoven with, the, with all the relationships around you. You, you. you cannot be praising God at the expense of people around you. Because your relationship with God is interwoven with everybody around you. Here's the greatest deception. This is one of the, your greatest deceptions. This is one of my greatest deceptions where I think I'm all good. I'm all good because I'm all good with God, but yet the relationships around me are deteriorating. And so you think you love God, but you really don't. Because you love God by humbling yourself, by going to those people and asking for forgiveness. That's how you love God. Because your devotion to God is measured by what you do for people. Your devotion to God is measured by what you do for people. So I don't know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what does this have to do with the Lord's Prayer? While well, it has everything to do with the Lord's Prayer. The Jesus Creed is the backbone of the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's the creed, the Jesus Creed, turned into a prayer. Love God Love people. Jesus is brilliant. Um, let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. And, and, and Jesus structured this prayer into two. Can you see that? Can you see how Jesus has structured it into two? I kind of made it easy by separating it. <laughs> okay. Can you see the two structures? Can you see how Jesus has structured it? And let's, let's look at, the, let's look at the, first, the first structure. And every structure has a, has a particular focus. So let's look at the first structure. Our heavenly Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be great. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first half is love God. right? We see that, love God. Value what God values. But how, do we, how, how is it that God's kingdom comes here on earth? Well, that's what the second part, the second, second part of the structure is all about. And the second part, is all about loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor. So let's, let's get into the second part of the Lord's Prayer. And it goes like this. And give us today our daily bread. Now, for many of us, we say, give us today our daily bread. But what we're really thinking is, give us today my, give me my daily bread. That's what we're thinking. Give me my daily bread, my bread, my forgiveness. But Jesus didn't actually teach that. Jesus used the plural word. He said, give us our daily bread. Do you see that in the second part of this prayer? 
It's full of us and our. So that when you're praying, Lord, give me our daily bread. It's not just my daily bread, but it's our daily bread. It's the people around me. And if I've got plenty of bread for me, am I aware of the people that don't have enough bread around me? And so the purpose of this prayer, the way Jesus is so brilliant, is that he gave it in such a way that takes our minds off ourselves and all the people around us. Like, I've got enough bread, but can I think of anybody who hasn't? Can I think of anybody who hasn't got enough to eat? Jesus is so brilliant. And he goes on, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Yes, forgive me my sins, but then it forced me to look outwards and say, is there anybody that I need to forgive? Is there anybody out there I need to forgive? Let me ask you this question. Is there anybody you need to forgive? Can you think of anybody that you need to forgive right now? Because this is what this prayer confronts you with. This is prayer as a prayer to action. It's the most powerful prayer you'll ever pray. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I don't know if you've ever struggled in your faith. I don't know if, 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 if your faith has been tested that, tested so much that you considered leaving the faith. I don't know if you've been there before. I don't know if you're there right now. But, or maybe you're not. But let me ask you this question. Do you know anybody who is going through a bit of testing? Because if you're thinking that, God is calling you to stand beside them. This prayer is a prayer to action. This prayer does two things. It, it, it's a prayer that, that, that causes us, the believers, and assumes that we will become the answers to what we're actually praying. That you will become the answers to what you're actually praying. This prayer is, takes the focus off me and puts it on the people around me that I'm well aware of what's happening all around me. Because your devotion to God is measured by what you do for people. Now, when did Jesus have in mind for us to pray this prayer? When did Jesus have, have in mind? And, and it really comes from, um, when, right from the, from the start, when he quoted, love the Lord your God of all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, the Shema. And the dual structure of prayer was three. Morning, noon, and night. And Jesus assumed, he said, when you pray, he assumes that you'll pray. And he assumes you'll pray three times a day. Morning, noon, and night. And the early Christians certainly did that. In fact, the early church did this for centuries. It's only been in the last couple hundred years that the, the, especially the Western church has moved away from their practice. Morning, noon, and night. And many of us, when, when, when we read this, this part in the Bible, says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. We, th we think of hypocrites as those who have turned prayer into this old, dead ritual at set times, but we really don't mean it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, don't have habits or rhythms of prayer. He's not saying that at all. The problem with prayer becoming a dead ritual is us and not the practice. Did you get that? The problem with prayer becoming a dead ritual is us and not the practice. And what, let me just expand that a little bit more. You know, sometimes people, they, they find that church, coming to church on Sunday becomes a dead practice. Oh, it's just a dead practice. Here's the thing. The problem is not the practice, but it's us. And if you're finding yourself like church has become a dead practice to you, then you need to ask yourself this question. What's my relationship with God? What's going on there? In fact, what's going on with my relationship with the people around me within church? That's the question we need to be asking. 
So the early church, they would pray this prayer three times a day. And you know what? I've been praying this prayer almost every single day since I've been alive. I've been praying this prayer. And the reason why I've been praying this prayer is because my grandmother ingrained this prayer in me. When we wake up in the morning, we would say this prayer. Before we go to bed, we would say this prayer. But we had the old version, you know, forgive us our trespasses as those who trespassed against us. That's what we prayed. We pray this prayer. Even when I was far away from God, I would still say this prayer because it was so ingrained in me. But it became a dead ritual to me. The problem wasn't the practice. The problem was me. It was me. And when I, when I discovered Jesus, this ritual became so much more alive in my life. And you know, I've adopted this, this practice three times a day. And I, and I challenge you to do the same. But you know what's really interesting? It's the midday prayer that's challenging. Because at midday, I find myself in places, in the, the most random places. And remember when you pray this prayer, you pray this prayer in such a way that no one knows. I'll be driving and I'll find myself praying this prayer. I'll be, I'll be at the gym, I'll be praying this prayer. If you adopt this habit, honestly, it will challenge you because you'll find yourself in the most odd, the most random places. And you'll find yourself praying this prayer and then all of a sudden, you are well aware of the people around you who don't have enough bread. And let Jesus mess with you on that one. He will mess you up on that one when you're well aware of the people around you who don't have bread. Or maybe you'll find yourself in your workplace and, and your work, work colleagues are hating on each other and they're giving you a hard time and you find yourself praying this prayer. And now you'll find yourself forgiving your work colleague who's just been giving you a hard time. This prayer will transform you. This prayer is brilliant. This prayer is a prayer so powerful that Jesus gave it to you and to me. It's a call to action. And I encourage you, give it a go. Pray this prayer three times a day, but it's the midday prayer. That's the prayer that's gonna challenge you the most. As you, as you pray this prayer, these words that seem so familiar are all of a sudden being connected to what's happening around you. And you begin to see new things happen because of where you're saying this prayer. So church, as I, as, as I end this message, why don't we, why don't you, I would invite you to stand with me as we say the Lord's Prayer. In fact, we're gonna say the ending that the church added as part of our praise to God. So let us pray this prayer together, this brilliant, this powerful prayer, the Jesus Creed. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever amen come on give the lord a hand wherever you are